My subject this morning is the new you. Last week I talked about Christ's righteousness as being a gift from God. Our, our righteousness is true and it is not some view that God has on us. God is not pretending that we are righteous. God is saying that righteousness is a spiritual condition. We are righteous by birth. Not our first birth, our second birth. When we accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, when we were born again, born of God, born of the Spirit, we received the gift of righteousness. We were born sinners, and we had nothing to say about it. When we accepted Christ as our personal Savior, we became righteous, and we had nothing to say about it. What does it mean to be righteous? Well, it's right doing, it's right standing. But what is the bottom line? What does it really mean? It means that you are okay. That's what it really means. When you were born again, you became okay. Not only that, but it means that there is nothing wrong with you. And I'll repeat that. The Bible says there is nothing wrong with you. When you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, there was nothing wrong with you once you were baptized by His Spirit and became alive to God. There is nothing wrong with you. Wow, that's a beautiful truth. To wake up every day realizing there's nothing wrong with me that I'm totally accepted by God, that I'm complete. And then when I read the book of Hebrews, then the Bible tells me that I am perfect forever. Wow, that sounds like some sort of dream. It doesn't sound like reality because we know who we are inside, it seems like. And it seems like a lot of us are carrying a lot of tension and that tension is sort of like we feel that we're not measuring up to what we're supposed to be. It could be our thought life, whatever it is. And then we get fixated on trying not to sin. And once we start that, we go down to the path of trying to please God. And we try to figure out all sorts of ways how we can be pleasing to him and keep being pleasing to him. And then shame comes, and then we hide. We become convinced that we cannot truly be forgiven or be made clean. And here's what happens. We convince ourselves that there are, there, well, there is, there's just no real help for me. It's not working for me. It's working for others. I can see that, but it's really not working for me. And then we, we try to hide. Shame causes us to try to hide. 
And that's when we put on our religious mask. And that's where many are today. They have a religious mask. But yet we all wake up one day to the pain and the realization that we can't control our lives like we thought maybe we would be able to. And we always put those quotes with God's help. So we adopt formulas, strategies, programs that would, would help us change. And believe me, in the Christian world, we're full of programs. We're full of seminars. We have all of these things going. And the problem is we read books. We, we inundate ourselves with some of these seminars. And sometimes when people are in, having problems, we offer them answers to those problems. We know the answers, and so we, we can encourage them, and we offer, we offer these answers. And then knowing that deep down inside, those answers aren't helping us. They may help other people, but they're not helping us. And we give the counsel, we give the encouragement, because we have this religious mask. That's what we're supposed to do. That's how we're supposed to act. And so sometimes nothing's real anymore. We say that many of us have struggled, struggled, struggled. And so I want to have us take a look this morning. Who are you inside? Without the mask, who really are you? on the inside. You may be struggling with a problem this morning. You may, it may be marriage, it may be a loss of job, it may be nagging temptations. I don't know what it is. And you feel that there's something wrong with you. You sort of feel that because of your circumstances that God is disappointed in you. And that's why you're going through difficulties, that's why you're going through issues. But you say, I know that God loves me. That's what keeps me going, just knowing that God loves me. And you may feel that I know that God will never leave me because that's what the Bible says. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So I, I know those things, but deep down, deep down in my soul, I kind of feel that I'm a disappointment to God. Well, I have good news for you. What we're dealing with this morning is the most remarkable, the most magnificent truth recorded in the Bible. It's found in Romans 6. Romans 6 describes what happens to us before we are born again. And this is why it's so important. It describes to us who we are inside before we were born again. Well, what does the Bible say about us before we were born again? Well, the Bible says you're a child of wrath. The Bible says that you're, there's no hope for you. The Bible says that you are dead in your transgressions. The Bible says 
that your destiny is eternal separation from God. That's what the Bible says about who you are before you were born again. So let's read it. Romans 6, 1 through 4. Romans 6, 1 through 4. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? I remember this last prayer meeting. Somebody said, sometimes grace seems like you have a grace card. You sin and you got this card. Get out of jail card. So, the question is, can you go on sinning so that grace may increase? And Paul says, by no means we died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. I don't know how many times you have read that text. I'm sure perhaps many. But let's find out what that text is really saying. The question, shall we go on sinning? And Paul says, by no means. But let me ask you a question. Now that you are a Christian, now that you understand the grace of God that forgives our sins, past, present, and future, everything's forgiven. We live in a forgiven state. Now that you believe that, now that you understand that Jesus Christ went to the cross, sacrificed his life so that we might have life, that we might have eternal life. So, now that you know that your debt for sin has been paid, let me ask you, do you have the right now to go on sinning? I mean, you know the sin issue's over. And you know that sin is fun. I mean, there's... Come on, we've got to get real that sin can be very enjoyable. So, let's look at it. Paul is talking about here habitual sinning. In other words, can I continue in the same lifestyle that I was on before I became a Christian? That's a fair question. If my sins are all taken care of, can I just continue on the way that I've been living? And notice here, it says, I mean, it says, so that grace may increase. So it was suggesting that our motivation for sinning is just not for our own satisfaction, but we'll be doing this to the glory of God so grace may increase. And Paul says, by no means. The literal Greek says, may it never be. May, it ne may you never come to that conclusion. And yet people do. But may it never be. And then... King James says, God forbid, God forbid. I like what Philip says, what a 
ghastly thought that you could do that. But the new, to, the new King James, I like it. They say, no, no. So here it is so even a child can understand it. It's a no-no in the Christian life. This idea of thinking that we can just go on living the same lifestyle, it's a no-no in the Christian experience. Paul simply says, we died to sin. And we did. But then he says, how can we live in it any longer? How is that happening? And then in verse 3, he says, or don't you know? Or don't you know? Paul expected these Roman Christians to know. He thought that they knew. And here, these Roman Christians, they had never met Paul. They had never sat under his teachings personally. And so they didn't know him. He didn't know them. But then he says, or don't you know? Why would they know? Why would they know? You see, in Romans 6, the same way, Romans 7, Romans 5, the, in Romans, it's not talking about water baptism. So you have to get that out of your mind. It's not water baptism. But this is what water baptism teaches. And so that's what Paul, that's why he thought they would know. But then he realized maybe they don't. So he says, so or don't you know, he says. You can be a Christian for one year, five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, and not know. That's the sad part of it. You can be a Christian and not know what's going on within you, what causes you, that confusion that Paul talks about. I know that I shouldn't do it, but I do it. We can understand and know those things, and we will this morning. Water baptism teaches, it's a symbol. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a meaning of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And this is where some are going to be a little, a little careful of. Because we hear a lot about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, is a, it was a shadow. I should say that baptism was a shadow. It was a it was a, a figure of what we can expect when the Holy Spirit, it's, it's a picture of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Paul is writing to these Christians, they have been baptized by water. So they, he, they knew about the death, the burial, the resurrection. They knew that. They were baptized into it. But they were never taught the reality of what the Spirit has already done. And this is what we want to talk about this morning. The passage deals with how we died to sin. How we became separated from Adam and were joined to Christ. It is a description of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
John the Baptist said this, I indeed baptize you with water, but there comes one, one greater than I, that he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. And this is what takes place when you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You were inserted into Christ. When you accepted him as your personal Savior, you were brought together. You were united with him. And the Bible says that you are a new you. Well, what's new? What's new about you? You received a new heart. That stony heart came out, and God put in a new heart and gave you a new spirit. It's the new you. You became, when you said, Jesus, come into my life, you became a child of God. You became a child of God then. In 1 Corinthians 12, 13, it says, For we were all baptized by one spirit. What's the Bible talking about? We were all baptized by one spirit. What's that What's that spirit? It's the Holy Spirit. And it says, every believer, all of us, were baptized by that spirit. Whether Jew or Greek, whether slave or free, we were all given the one spirit. All given the one. It says all believers are baptized into one body. There is no possible way that anyone can receive Christ as their personal Savior without being baptized by the Holy Spirit. It's not something that comes afterwards. The Holy Spirit lives in you. You have been baptized by the Holy Spirit. It's not an emotional experience. It's a fact. It's a definite fact. When you receive Christ as your personal Savior, you were baptized by the Holy Spirit. And this is part of the process by which we share the life of Jesus Christ living inside of us. Paul says, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Paul is answering the question. Can you go on sinning? No. Why? Because you're dead to sin. You are dead to sin. That's why you can. Well, what's dead? Romans 6, 5. If we have been united with him in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. We are united in Christ. We are united with him. He is part of our life. And he lives in us through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Christ has become our life. But there is so much confusion in the Christian world today. What do we hear today? You need to die to self. What is that all about? Where is that in the scripture? You need to die to self. And then it says you need to die to sin. Where is that in the scripture? You need to die to sin. You need to die daily. Colossians 3, 3 and 4. Listen what it says. 
for you died. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. The Bible says you died. And what's being taught today? You need to die. You need to die to self. You need to die to sin. You need to die daily. And the Bible says you're already dead. You're already dead. There's confusion about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But the Bible says that we have already been baptized. All believers. You can't be a believer without being baptized by the Holy Spirit. And then you hear, you need to put Christ first in your life. You need to put Him first. You hear, Christ has got to be your life. So you have to put Him first. And then you need to get closer to God. And I'll tell you, there's all so many seminars now to get closer to God, all, all these little things you can do to get closer to God. Christ lives in you. How do you get any closer than that? How is that possible? How can you get closer to By studying the Bible? No. Christ lives in you. By going to church? No. Christ lives in you. There's no method that we have. You, when you were born again, you received a new spirit, a new human spirit. Adam, he sinned, and we sin in Adam. Now Christ, his actions become our actions because he lives and dwells within us. We now understand that Christ died, we died. Christ was buried and we were buried. Christ rose again and we rose with him. And that is when we were born again, when we rose with him into newness of life. The union with Christ is a truth from which everything else in the Bible flows. If we can begin to understand what actually takes place, then the rest is a beautiful and wonderful story. Romans 6, 6 and 7. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body of sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin. Listen, I'm going to repeat. That we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. So, how do we get free from sin? Death. Is it church attendance? No. It's death. Is it Bible study? No. It's death. Is it trying harder? No. It's death. It's death. The only way you get free from the old way is through death. You were placed, when you invited Christ into your life, you were placed into his death. You died. 
your spirit, your human spirit died and you received a new spirit. You died. Christ died on the cross. You died with him. Christ was buried. You were buried with him. Christ rose. You rose with him. That's the gospel. That's the true gospel. Now I want you to follow me very closely on this. In Adam, Adam was filled the whole of man. Sin filled Adam. His body, his soul, and his spirit. He was totally filled with sin. And then all of us, descendants of Adam, We had to sin. We had no choice. We were born sinners. I'll never forget when my oldest boy was three, his brother was two, and I was in the kitchen, and they were watching him playing, and suddenly Matt took a toy away from Gary. And Gary went up and he hit him. And I thought, I didn't teach him to do that. No, it's sin in him. We were born in iniquity. We were born sinners. We had to sin. Not we had a choice. No. We had to. We were born sinners. And sin filled us just like it did Adam. Body, soul, and spirit. In Christ, the Bible says we are no longer slaves to sin. Why? Because we were born again. And what was born? You received a new human spirit. The only way you can be free from sin is death. And you died with Christ on the cross. And you received a new spirit. Now, we know, according to Paul, that we are tempted in the body, and in the soul. Doesn't the Bible say, beware of the one who can destroy both body and soul? But we cannot be tempted in our spirit. We have a God spirit. We have a new spirit. God performed surgery on us. He took out that heart of stone and gave us a new heart, a new spirit. That's the wonderful news of the gospel. That's why we can rejoice even when Paul says, I know the things that I I should do, I don't do. It's not me, though. He says, it's not me. And it's true. And it's not you either. When these thoughts of sin come through your mind, it's not you. It's not your spirit. It's not your heart. Because you only desire to follow him. And how do we follow him? He went to the cross. We follow him to the cross. He died. We died. And we got free from sin. That's why the Bible can tell us you are complete in Christ. That's why the Bible can tell us in Hebrews you are perfect forever, forever because you have been born again. You have a new spirit. 
Paul refers to the essential you as a spirit within. In other words, your body is not you. It's not you. Your soul, which is a combination of the body and the spirit, is not you. It is not you. No, you are spirit. That's why the Bible says you are already seated in the heavenlies. Already seated next to Christ. How much closer can you get? You're right there. You're right there. Paul makes it clear in Romans 6 that there is an alien power. He calls it the power of sin. There's this power that comes through his thought life. And I'll tell you, and I'm, I'm sure it's happened to you, no outside influence. I'm sitting in my living room listening to some classical music, enjoying what I'm hearing, and all of a sudden a bad thought comes through my head. How does that happen? And Paul says, it happens because of the power of sin. It happens because of the flesh. That's why it happens, because of those things. But he says, you are not the power of sin. You are not your flesh. And you are not sin. You are not sin. Now, there's a lot of good news in the Scripture. Romans so far... Paul has asked us not to do anything. You don't, you don't have to do anything. You're covered. And that's true about the gospel. Salvation is a gift. Eternal life is a gift. Righteousness is a gift. It's the gift that keeps on giving. Everything is a gift from God. Romans 6.11, now he asks us to do something. Romans 6.11. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So here's our key. Here it is. If there is a key, this is it. Count yourself dead to sin. An evil thought comes through my thought life. And when it comes through, I say, well, oh, I'm dead to that. I'm dead to that, and I'm alive. I'm not alive with God. Christ lives in me. I'm alive. So when we are tempted, and we will be, our body and our soul will be tempted. When we are, Paul says, just count yourself dead. Say, I'm dead to that. I'm dead to that. It's over, and I'm alive to God. What, what's taking place is when we are bombarded with bad thoughts or we are tempted and we're getting closer and closer because we're entertaining that temptation, it's all God is asking us is to agree with him. Agree with God that you are born again. Agree with God that you are righteous. Agree with God. That's all he's asking us to do. 
to just count yourself alive to God because you are. Agree with God that you are dead to sin. In Romans 6, 14, the Bible says, For sin shall not be your master, because you are no longer under law, but under grace. Why would Paul bring that up? Why would all of a sudden he bring back up the law? Well, he knew the Christian struggle. He knew what we were going through. He's dealing with one of the most basic problems of the Christian struggle. The sense of condemnation we feel when we yield to the sin. Listen, there will be a struggle in our life. There's no question about it. It's not an easy life to walk through this world. But we have the strength and we have the desire not to sin. Spiritually, I don't know how, how many of you have ever read 1 John. You get confused because he says that we won't sin. We won't sin. Well, it's true. Spiritually, you won't sin. Your body, your soul might be tempted to do something, but spiritually, no. When we have that struggle, Paul says to us, remember me. I went through the same thing you're going through. I couldn't figure it out either. And finally, I said, it's not me. It's not my desire. You know, I don't know of a born-again Christian who really has a desire to sin. Temptation comes and he sins, but he doesn't have that desire spiritually. Now, how do we break the struggle? It's by agreeing with God that we are born again, that we are his child. And that we will be rejected? No, never. We will never be rejected. And so Paul, he tries to harness a belief system so all of us would be free from sin. And what he says to us who may be, I know some, sometimes it's hard to believe the exchange life in Christ. I know that. It took me years before I believed it. And I studied it and studied it and studied it. And it was hard for me to believe. But listen, Paul says if you're struggling with that belief, if you're struggling with sin, if you're struggling with temptation, if you're struggling with all that, just remember one thing. He says there is no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. No condemnation, no judgment, no condemnation, no rejection from God. God will never reject you. God is not angry with us when we struggle. He's given to us a new image. We are now a child of the living God. Your Adam life has been exchanged for Christ's life. You are a new you. I love the 
advertisement in the, on television when they say, but wait, there's more. They kind of double the offer and everything. So I'm telling you, wait, there's more. Ephesians 1 says that you were sealed unto the day of redemption. You were sealed in him. But wait, there's more. In Hebrews 9, Christ came to do away with sin. Colossians 2, we live in a forgiven state. We live in a forgiven state. Hebrews 10, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. Paul gives us all the reassurance that we need. We will not face the judgment. There's no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. This idea that everybody's going to be facing the judgment, not a Christian. There won't be a Christian that will be facing the judgment. The judgment is for the wicked, not for the righteous. And the Bible says that every one of us are righteous. Born righteous. Righteous whether you believe it or not. It's a fact. It's a fact. You're going to heaven whether you believe it or not. Because you experienced the new birth. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you for all the reassurance that you have given to us this morning. And Lord, maybe some of us didn't know. But we're thankful now that we've seen the text. That we've seen your word up on the screen. And it calls out to us to rest, just to rest in believing and trusting in you. And this we do this morning. We trust you with our life. We trust you with every aspect of it. We may be confused like Paul has been. But we come to that place where Paul says that it is through Christ. And we thank you and we praise you. We pray that you will bless us as we leave here. And I just pray, Father, that this day will be a wonderful day for each one of us. For I ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.